your head, gaze this pain, hand in the gutter, eyes far away, fall off the shoe, hit the ground, but it's gone. Stumped by the floor, dropped by the floor, into regret, half by the heat and by the smoke. Paper's pretty soft, learning to stoop. Put my head on the handlebars, lighting a match, but the image doesn't smoke, thinking this is the life. Putting money on the counter, saying silly things and dance. Crossing roads and eating foods, taking risks, ringing bells, making calls, and the hell with it. Wearing clothes, doing quizzes, kind of strange, but it's easy to tell my nightmare just to talk about a meeting, all right! It was easy, it was cheap, go and do it! This is Resonance 104.4 FM. My name's Jack Thurston, and this is The Bike Show. And that was the sound of the Desperate Bicycles with their first home-recorded single from 1977 called Handlebars. And right at the end there, you heard... The line, it was easy, it was cheap, go and do it. And that's a philosophy that really kicked off the whole punk movement. Yeah. And uh, with me in the studio today, it's a great pleasure to welcome Johnny Green. Who, Hello, Jack, how are you? Thanks for coming <laughs> on to the show. And uh, you were the Clash's road manager yeah. of, of many years and uh, author of the definitive guide to life on the road with the Clash. Right, thank you. But you've come in to the show because you've got a new book out, which is about the Tour de France. How yeah. do you get from... The Clash and rock and roll and punk to the Tour de France. Well, I know people do keep saying to me, "Boy, blimey, that's some connection, isn't it?" And uh, I can see their point, but you know, I'm not an athlete. Uh, I'm a punk rocker trapped in an old aging man's body, you know. Uh, and I stumbled into it like all the best things by complete chance, just the way I stumbled into that band The Clash and became their road manager. Sometimes the best things happen for what seems like an accident, but there's something going on, I don't know. So I call it Juju, but I don't know the answer. So when did you get involved in the Tour de France? Oh, completely spurious. I mean, I'd always known what it was, and I'd seen that footage of Tom Simpson collapsing uh, on Mont Ventoux, but it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. It was just something else that happened somewhere in France. And I happened to be out in uh, 97, out in... uh, uh, around my daughter, she was going out to study in Grenoble, asked for a lift to stick her skis on the roof rack, and I gave her a lift out. Went for a drive the next out into the hills, and I did a left-hand turn up a tiny little road, started snowing, it was late October, and a bloke put his hand and stopped me on the road, he said, this road is now officially closed, and I was standing by this big kind of cylinder thing, and I said, "What? Uh, what's going on here, mate? And he said, uh, that is a... The uh, Stelt, Henri de Grange, the great founder of the Tour de France, uh, they come over here most years, and oh wait, they come over here. Men cycling in a race come over this track. I've been in first gear in the motor, Jack, and uh, right, and keeping well away from the edge of the road, big drops, and uh, so I couldn't quite believe this. And uh, so the following July, I sat down in front of Channel Four, and uh, I watched. I thought I've got to see this. And I watched Marco Pantani stand on his pedals and fly up that mountain. And it was a, a tingle went right up my spine, like some kind of super duper drug rush from old memory, Jack, you know? And, uh, and I thought, that's amazing. You've been bitten by the bug. Yeah, it got me, Jack, it got me. But, but only half got me. Because I realised, like, the greatest gigs, the best music, the top bands you got to be there live to do it, to really get it. So when did you first get out to yeah. see the tour oh, in the flesh? Next year, because I think it was next year, but uh, I live in Kent, so I shot over and watched a, a couple of bunch sprints over in uh, Pas de Calais, northern France, you know. So I went to Calais, Antwerp, 
and uh, I jostled six deep, ten deep, twelve deep, you know, all day on the barriers. And people go, why do you do that? You know, just go, whoosh. And I go, well, yeah, it does go, whoosh. But hell, that's worth the wait, you know? And the waiting is, for me, part of the fun in a way. It is, isn't, isn't it? it? It's that kind of zen thing of yes, waiting around. And I love that. And there's this exciting build-up to it. And then along comes the caravan throwing cheap hats and little packets, packets of, of sweets from Haribo. Yeah, and the, the, the jujubes. And, and, and people will fight each other for these, you know, scrambling on the floor. So you've written this book. Yeah. Push Yourself Just a Little Bit More. It's out last week. Um, yeah, Orion. Orion Books. Yeah. And I, I ploughed through it at, at great pace in the last couple of days, and it didn't actually take much effort because it, once you've re- read the first 20 pages, you're in, oh. and you're just carried along by this, this sort of rush that you managed to convey really well about, yeah, about it's what it's like thanks, to follow the yeah. tour. Because you, you had the access all areas, passes, and it conveys that kind of um, excitement and the chaos of the yeah. tour and the fact that yeah. it's a moving city, that every day this, the race starts in a different mm. town and ends in a different town and they've got this enormous infrastructure that moves around, mm. the plans and the bureaucracy and the yeah, yeah. regulations. I mean, it's an amazing feat. But anyway, for the next uh, half hour or what's left of the half hour, we're going to talk about the Tour de France, talk about your book and play some records. Now, you're going to introduce the first uh, piece of music. Right, yeah, yeah. The, this one's by a band from the mid-70s, uh, Dr. Feelgood. I love Dr. Feelgood. Uh, I was raised and brought up on the uh, on the Kentish side of the Thames Estuary, and across the other way, I can still see it. I lived down that way back again after all these years. Is uh, Canvey Island near South End, and this is a Canvey Island band. They taught me how to attack music, in uh, and uh, the lead singer is a man called Lee Brillo, and uh, chapeau to you, as they would say on the Tour de France, Mr. Brillo. He's dead now. Died at forty-one. He lived hard a great singer and an inspiration to all punk rockers about to be born in the mid-70s. So this is his song. the first selection of Johnny Green today on the bike show Dr Feelgood all through the city 
it seems like every cycling fan or Tour de France's fan's dream to um, mm. go along, access all areas, follow the tour and all that. How did you manage to swing that? Well, you shouldn't ask such rude questions, really, Jack, you know, but um, uh, suffice to say... Uh, uh, there's a bloke I know down in Hampshire called Frank the Forger, and uh, he was very helpful to me. But uh, I did I did apply to do this mainly <laughs> because I, I queued all day, and I don't mind doing it. It's worth doing for the Tour de France. But to be honest, I looked over at the Ligas enclosures, and having been a, a roadman myself, I thought I belong where you get a clear view down the finishing straight. You know, with a nice cup of coffee or a cold drink in my hand, you know. That's where I should be, and uh, and also, and also, you'll know yourself, Jack. You know when the tour comes to town, the roads get shut down, and I wanted to be able to go and walk wherever I chose. So yeah, I put in for a pass, and uh, let's just say I was lucky enough to be granted one for two years, which meant that I could go where a lot of people. You could can't get go. right close yeah. to the riders. I could, yeah, and, and the fans and the strange people and the roadies. Because I relate a lot to the, as you said earlier, you know, it's this huge infrastructure, this huge town that ups and moves every day. And, and really, it's a bigger deal, a bigger technological deal than the Rolling Stones, U2 or Coldplay put into one. It's and, they, and they do it every year. I know. They do it all the time. And, and it's never not in place. And these guys work under all conditions. It's never, I'm sorry, the roads were full or it was raining. And they're going to a medieval, you know, walled uh, town or at the top of a Pyrenean ski slope. It's always there and it's always bang in place. I'm impressed. I mean, that's why the subtitle of the book is Backstage yeah. at the Tour de France. Because yeah. it really does convey that, what is going on it's behind the It's a mad, crazy circus, ain't it, Jack? You know, um, it, that's the thing. You know, we're used to the French as an orderly, calm, polite kind of... Uh, bourgeois society and suddenly they've created this monster but they really. know how to organise yeah they do they know how to make rules they do know how to make rules they're huge they're bookfuls of them that you get given really and woe betide you if you break them you know <laughs> and uh, I think really I like that chaos I like the fact that it is a a, a, a comedy a circus really yeah, yeah. Well, what, besides the chaos one of the things that really comes through in your book is how you find a lot of the more charismatic, yeah. sparkly riders to be the ones that you're drawn to rather than the kind of lean, efficient ones who don't really mm. say much. I mean, really, one of the last of the great showmen, I think, is, uh, is, is Mario Cipollini. Yeah, Mario Cipollini. Boy, I, you know, I've been watching him uh, on the TV and uh, I really wanted to see that man cross the finish line first with his, you know, his hands in the air and his chin up and his locks flowing. And uh, I, I was kind of bitter, you know. I have to say now, I'll declare that I seriously considered stalking uh, the pork butcher. Uh, sorry, Jean-Marie Leblanc, uh, the director of Le Tour de France. So he's a man I called a pork butcher. Because, you know, you can imagine him in a butcher shop in Normandy selling your kilo sausages. And he's got arms like uh, York hams and jowls hanging off. He and his colleagues decided that Chibo shouldn't be riding in the Tour de France because he didn't climb mountains. Because he rides for the first week or ten days and yeah. then he usually sort of gives up, doesn't he? he goes back to Italy. Well, he, no, I think that's a little bit unfair. <laughs> I think I would say he gets injured, Jack. Oh, he gets injured. Yeah, and he has to go to the beaches of uh, around the Rimini oh, and the Adriatic to recuperate. And uh, people say, well, that's a disgrace. You know, he should be climbing mountains. I don't ever hear people saying, Yan Kersipo, lazy tosser, although he's now done 12 tours and never finished. 
No one ever says it, but because Cipollini flaunts Because he's a bit flash. He's fla- He's very flash. He's the reason mobile phones aren't used in the Tour de France, because he was caught in the middle of the peloton ringing his Well, you've got a passage uh, from... I have, book. yeah, yeah. I like Chippo, you know, so I, I, I did contemplate throwing a, a bag of pig's blood at Monsieur Leblanc, but uh, he reinstated Chippo, and I was lucky enough to, you know, to, to see that. So uh, I, went in, I went in search of him. Cipollini is a sprinter. He's fast, he's flash, he wins in style. He breaks the rules and he doesn't give a flying fuck. He is beautiful. The French call him Le Beau Mario. He's getting old and I wanted to see Mario Cipollini eyeball to eyeball. I've been stalking Chippo since I got into Liège the night before the prologue. A big presentation was held at Palais Prise Evecal, a solemn, solid town hall building with gold on the top. It said, we are your burgers. We are responsible. You can depend on us. We've put you on the map. The whole world is watching and we can be impressive. Look at the gold, but in moderation. I like the towers of red and yellow balloons across the facade. The square was full of craning punters. I jostled my way into the crowd for a good view of the stage. Each of the 21 teams wheeled up a ramp onto the stage one at a time. The lights from the overhead truss and the genies and the lighting wings shone on the shiny new bikes. The official voice box, Daniel Mangias, belted out of the sound system. Every rider got praise and a name check. Most of them looked sheepish and gawky in their new strips. I watched six or seven teams take a bow. Big names got a cheer. But, you know, Belgians didn't seem that bothered. I was checking out old favourites and sucking in that old vibe. I moved across to a stone archway and through which the teams were arriving. And there he was, Cipollini, a mane of golden hair tossed back onto his shoulders, a suntan that said more than early July. I was stopped in my tracks, fall back from the barrier. I felt hypnotised. He led his Domina Vacanze team up onto the lip of the stage. All nine Italians were introduced. Super Mario got the biggest cheer of the night. It turned into a roar as the team threw their caps across the monitors. People scrambled to grab him. Chippo laughed and danced a little circular jig. He looked delighted to be there. I came to my senses. I remembered I had plastic in my pocket. A magical key. I could escape this crush, unlock the barrier and walk to where the air was free. I flashed the pass. The team buses around the back. As Chippo walked to the bus door with his entourage, he stopped to talk to an elderly couple with a child. I watched him fix them with his attention. They seemed mesmerised. The bus pulled away, and I was well made up. Boof, I was next to Mario Cipollini. I mean, the moment had come. He and I were an island in a space all around us. I pulled my dictaphone out of my pocket, and he was perched comfortably on his crossbar. I mean, I like the way the people, the cyclists, are one with their machine. It's a beautiful, beautiful sight. Uh, and there he was. Uh, he slowly turned towards me. Le Beau Mario seemed huge, perfectly in proportion. I looked down at his muscular thighs, bronzed and smooth. I wanted to stretch out my hand and stroke his bare flesh down to his knee with my palm. I knew that my action would give me a lifetime's good juju. I looked up and into his eyes. He locked me into his warm gaze. I had no sense of time. I asked him, uh, can we speak in English? No. En français? No. Mario smiled the widest, radiant smile, better than Barry Gibb. It radiated through me like waves of orgasm. Italiano, he said. No, I laughed. 
He laughed, I shrugged, we laughed. Louder and louder, still our eyes held each other. Ah, well, fuck it, I said, still laughing. He eased his look forward and moved off slowly, the laughter still loud. I was transfixed, watching him move away in slow motion, and then I floated behind him towards the gate of the enclosure, grinning ecstatically, insanely. The spell was broken by Earl, grinning on the other side of the wire, holding his camcorder up with one hand and his thumb in the air with the other. And you'll see the pictures in the book, eh, Jack? You know? Good well, that, stuff. That was, I always meet your heroes, yeah, everybody. That, that Do it. Jo Johnny Green <laughs> reading from his new book, Push Yourself Just a Little Bit More, backstage at the Tour de France. And you're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. This is The Bike Show. And we'll be coming back uh, to talk more uh, with Johnny after this bit of music, which for me sums up um, a little bit what it's like um, following the Tour de France. Pittsburgh are rolling down that eastern seaboard I got my diesel wound up and she's a-running like I never before There's a speed zone ahead with all right I don't see a cop in sight Six days on the road and I'm gonna make it home tonight I got me ten forward gears on a Georgia overdrive Taking little white pills in my eyes, I open wide. I just passed a Jimmy and a wine. I've been a passing everything in sight. Six days on the road, and I'm gonna make it home tonight. But it seems like a month since I kissed my baby goodbye. I could have a lot of women, but I'm not a like of some other guys. I could find one to hold me tight. But I can never make believe it's all right Six days on the road and I'm gonna make it home tonight ICC is a chicken on down the line Well, I'm a little overweight and my logbooks are way behind But nothing bothers me tonight I can dodge all the scales all right on the road and I'm gonna make it home tonight Well, my rig's a little old But that don't mean she's slow There's a flame from a stack And that smoke's a blowing black as coal My hometown's a coming in sight If you think I'm happy, you're right Six days on the road And I'm gonna make it home tonight Six days on the road And I'm gonna make it home well, that's Lefty Frizzell with his version of Six Days on the Road. And there's a, lovely. there's a line in that describing the life of a long-distance truck driver where he says, I'm taking little white pills and my eyes are open wide. <laughs> now, that's a direct link into cycling, yeah, isn't it? it? Is. If there is, I mean... Well, it, it, it's, it's road craft of all, and it is into cycling, of course, you know, and... Uh, Hank Williams, you know, dying on New Year's Day, 1953, you know, on the road with far too much substances in his system. But maybe that's what it takes to be a hero. Maybe that's what it takes uh, to have the vision and fulfil the vision. I'm not in judgment on it. Yeah, because th throughout the book, you draw these parallels yeah. between 
people like Hank Williams, Keith Richard, Graham mm. Parsons, and then um, Pantani, Tom Simpson. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a fine tradition of drug taking in the uh, Tour de France, you know, and people do like to get very moral and, and pontificate about it. Now, you know, it's not, it ain't really out to me, Jack, to uh, make distinctions on this. I do know that it goes all the way back to uh, the beginning of the Tour de France, you know, that people took substances just uh, to help them get through the thing. Now, I, I come from a cultural background where it's a matter-of-fact business, you know, and, and I would argue also that society these days, and actually always, has been matter-of-fact about the taking of substances. So why we expect our athletes to be pure shining gods when nobody else is in life uh, beats me really. I don't. I don't see what. So, the problem what would, is if there. you were the UCI, yeah. the body in charge yeah. with policing, cycling, yeah. and, and, the, and the doping, what would what would you do? Well, I'm glad I'm not for a start, and I can't see me being a regulator or a man on committees. But uh, all I would say on it is, well, okay, I have your rules, but come on now, lighten up a bit, and let's look at the the, the glory that is this race, and let's stop getting bogged down in chasing people around. You know, their hotel rooms at one o'clock in the morning, hauling them in uh, crummy little caravans around the back of the podium at the Tour de France. Uh, I'm really not that bothered about it, really. I think all, all things being equal, it's uh, you start from a level playing field, really, like Ben Johnson in Seoul in the Olympics in 88. I mean, ain't it the case that uh, eventually all the front five runners in that proved positive for dope testing? Well, there you go. They're all starting equal. What's the problem? <laughs> I guess the problem is when <laughs> a lot of young cyclists end up dying in their sleep because their blood's as thick yeah. as toothpaste. Yeah, that's absolutely true. As a result of yeah. taking EPO or blood doping or transfusions or whatever it is. Well, I suppose it is really, you know. But uh, then, uh, then uh, I say, if you don't want to get in a dangerous territory, start on watch the telly. <laughs> I ain't going to get too funny about all that, really. Another thing in your book that really impressed me was the way that you know there's the cycling's going on always sort of in the background and at the moment you know you really focus on yeah. it and a sprint finish or a mountain top mm. finish or something like that but then a lot of it is about France and about mm. French things mm. and it seems to me that the Tour de France is just a fantastic kind of marketing gimmick for Frenchness isn't it <laughs> well yeah I, well, I'm not sure I go with marketing gimmick but I know what you mean yeah it is I mean there was this great man who was one of the kind of key organizers after the second world war called Eli Wormelinger and he said he said much about introducing uh, France to its own own citizens as it is about sport. And I concur with that. And in a way, it refers back to our conversation, Jack, about, about doping. You know, because I regard that as just matter of fact, really. People take dope. And I by that I include boozing, you know, or smoking fags or, or whatever. So, so that's a modern rock and roll culture. But in a more classical culture, yeah... It allows people to get out and, and watch the TV screens, listen to the radio, and, and know what, what is the variety and the magnificence of their country. I mean, someone has said to me, tell me a good reason for watching the Tour de France. And I said, it's a great way of getting you out around the country. It's true. I mean, and, and yeah. another, another, another thing that um, I really liked about the book is the way you bemoaned the fact that David Duffield has been sacked yeah. from the hotspot of the commentary and he's been put back in the studio because he's the fellow in the, who wears these ridiculous sort of tweedy jackets or yes. whatever, sports sports jackets I think yes. they're called blazers yes. <laughs> and he bang he, he bangs on about you know what he had for dinner last night mm. what was in this particular chateau what historical event happened here what yes. is the regional speciality yeah, of wine yeah, and yeah. all this kind of thing and it's an, a little bit like the commentary in the test match isn't it sort of 
those that that sort of good analogy that of, just, yeah. of just broadening it out it's more than sport it's culture it's about history it's about yes, the it events and I, I, very much so and it is about it is about the event and it's setting within history and and and, and the place wherein it happens and of course I like the fact that it's different every year. It ain't people going around a track or going up the same hill and doing split times and all that. It is about lifting your eyes up and looking around you. I mean, there are, you know, those riders that do actually do that as well. And I think riders that respect that tradition of the Tour de France are always praised and welcomed on that. And maybe that's one of the problems with old Lance, you know. They ain't got a lot of time for that. It's win at all costs. Yeah, what do you think of Lance? I think he's wonderful. He's probably... The greatest athlete it's been my privilege to see in my lifetime, you know, and I ain't a young bloke. But on the other hand, I don't like him. You don't you, you respect him but you don't like him. Yeah, that's right. Because I think, you know, I like his meanness. I like the sense of revenge that oozes out of his pores. I think that's that's a great thing to see in a man, you know. I like I, I like meanness. But I think also that he is uh uh, not very accommodating. I think he's mean-spirited, and I think it, it leaks into his team, you know? I was standing on Plata the other day out there in this year's tour, and I watched Big George, you know, and Cappy come up, and he really... And you, did you watch that, Jay? Yeah, yeah. Okay, he didn't work it, did he? Mm, Do you think? Mm, mm. He, he got himself towed up there and won it, you know? Yeah. And I thought, yeah, that's the Armstrong sort of ethos, really. It don't matter. Just win it. And yet he was booed for that, George, up there at the top. They didn't like that. So there's rumours yeah. that the tour is going to be coming to London for the Grand Depart in 2007. Rumours, rumours. Unconfirmed. I can never get a straight answer out yeah. of Transport for London on that. Do you think that would be a good thing? Could we handle it? You've seen uh, what it requires to mount this kind of event. Can well, we manage it? I mean, it's pure speculation, Jack, you know, but I've taken the meagre savings out of my children's bank accounts and slapped it on down William Mail on it happening you know and what was it going to be like Asak, you know, I'll tell you what there was a there was a bloke out there on the press corps you know working for ASSO the tour organisers and he started telling me about this this was last year about the tour coming to uh, UK in uh, 2007 and uh, I said oh yeah tell us more about that and he said well Mm, I can't. He said, "You ever met Bruce Springsteen?" And me, because he knew I came from a kind of rock and roll background. And I said, "Yeah, I have. I've hung around with Springsteen some stuff in New York, but I'm not going to tell you unless you tell me about London." <laughs> so we swapped, you know, like a couple of kids behind the bike sheds. Yeah, I'll be very surprised if it doesn't. Uh, come and they're going to close down the roads because I have this. Yeah, I have this vision of <laughs> of the of the Tour de France in yeah. London uh. with sort of everything going on as normal you know that they've got to stop for the traffic lights uh. and there's sort of delivery vans pulling out and white van man is wondering what's going yeah. on yeah. and the buses are you know it's all going to be a bit unprofessional somehow because well, the way the French manage it is very professional they say this is the Tour de France yes. this is the number one priority Priority-tay, everyone we... else yeah. forget about it well maybe you know if some good comes out of all this bombing and uh, cop activity around the metropolis Maybe uh, the, the Metropolitan Police inadvertently and sadly are learning how to control traffic and shut down this fine city and so that they can run a, a proper bunch sprint finish on the mall in front of Buckingham Palace. Well, that's a good silver lining to find yeah. in a cloud. Yeah, you? absolutely. And I can just see those helicopters whizzing around Canterbury Cathedral on the third day to uh, film the finish there, La Rive, before they load them onto a Eurostar back to Lille. Oh, I'm just guessing here, Jack. You know. Well, thanks for coming on the show. It's about we're about out of time, and we're going to play okay. out with 
a track by the Lars. Why have you chosen this one? I like it because, you know, everybody's a hero that finishes the Tour de France, even if you win one stage in your, in your entire life. And the Lars, you know, have one great record, and that's it. But ain't that enough? <laughs> 